we want to be very, very vocal about it so that people no longer see gender length investing as this soft and pink wishy-washy strategy where we can actually use the data and make the business case and say, well, you care about a commercial return? Well, look at the effects that having women within your business, within your value chain, how that has directly impacted these businesses. Welcome to Shoka's podcast. I'm Jessica Espinosa, and this is Shifting Capital, the podcast that connects you with the most innovative fund managers, entrepreneurs, and investors from around the world. We're kicking off our first season with Adeswa Okumbo Rodas, founder and managing partner of Arua Capital Management in Nigeria. Adeswa has a long standing track record in private equity and venture capital. She's supplying capital from a 20 million early stage growth equity and gender lens fund, investing in Nigeria and Ghana. She decided to launch her own private equity firm in 2019, spinning out of her previous fund that she ran for five years. Being one of the few African women-owned and led growth equity and gender lens funds on the African continent, Adesua is passionate about showcasing the success stories from the Aurora Capital portfolio to close the gender investing gap for women in Africa and as a result close gender gaps across our societies. Adesua has been celebrated as one of the top 35 women moving Africa forward for her commitment to advancing gender equality in private equity. She's proving the business case for gender lens investing, promoting women's empowerment along the business value chain, whilst generating attractive returns for investors. Hi, Adesua. Thank Hi, Jessica. Hi, thank you so much for kicking off this podcast with us. We're really excited to have you here. No, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's an honor to be your first guest. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. So tell us about Arua Capital and what inspired you to start your own private equity firm? Yeah, sure. So, so you know, I've been in the industry for the last 12 years, um, started my career at Lehman Brothers uh, in investment banking, uh, then moved on to JP Morgan uh, in M&A and in leverage finance uh, in, the, in London. Um, and, uh, you know, at JP Morgan, uh, I was, you know, ex executing uh, deals, you know, managed to execute about $5.6 billion of transactions uh, in emerging markets and, and in emerging uh, and in developed markets. Uh, and I should also mention prior to JP Morgan, where I really kind of got my idea and sense of what impact investing uh, is, is I spent some time at TLG Capital, which is a private equity fund that invests across Anglophone Africa, uh, and completed a, a successful investment in Uganda uh, in a local drugs manufacturer, uh, and also personally invested and made a very attractive return on that investment. Um, but at the same time, was able to see the impact that we had in you know the genuine, the local manufacture of genuine affordable drugs in the country, the fact that we were able to export it to other countries, so when I went to JP Morgan, I kind of always had at the back of my mind that I'd want to do something back home that allowed me to generate attractive returns, use my track record, uh, but also do good and affect change in, in the society for the better. So I was sitting at my desk at JP Morgan uh, and I get HUD hunted 
by another private equity firm uh, that managed you know, managed just under $300 at the time um, and decided to, you know, join them and be the, the, the head of Africa and help them build out their Africa business uh, and did that for uh, about, you know, four and a half years uh, and then took the crazy, crazy decision to spin out and launch Arua. And a lot of people thought I was crazy at the time. But the main reason I did it is, you know, we struggled to fundraise. I, sh I struggled to fundraise as an African woman looking to do private equity in Africa. Um, and, I, and when I was kind of just looking around, I didn't really see many women-owned funds in Africa, women-owned funds that were running their own funds or, or, or even African women-owned funds, let alone, you know, uh, let alone women-owned funds. So I said, well, if, we can't, if I can't see anyone like me allocating capital, it's going to be very difficult to see someone like me get funded. Um, so the, the whole point with Arua was we need to have something that is able to make the business case for investors when thinking about investing in women on the African continent. And we need to showcase that as you have more women capital allocators, there is a natural trickle down effect to women in your portfolio. And because of that natural trickle down effect, that is a value driver for returns in your fund. Uh, and because of the the role that women play in Africa, where, you know, we're the most enterprising women in the world, uh, you know, one in four businesses and manage, uh, you know, one in four women are managing or running businesses in Africa, we're a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> but we also play a very, very significant role in society where where 90 percent of, you know, uh, incomes generated by women are going into their families for healthcare and education. So it was really showcasing that. As we invest in women, either as consumers, either as entrepreneurs in our in our portfolio, where you have that natural trickle down effect, not only is it a value driver for returns, but also if you care about impact and if you if you care about positive social impact and and positive social change, then you should be thinking about this investment strategy. So the whole point of setting up Arua, you know, it was set up out of frustration and anger uh, at just you know how how much the disparity was when it comes to access to capital between men and women on the continent and globally. Uh, and it was my way of kind of doing what I could do to try and change the narrative in some way. So the main point uh, of why we wanted to set up a real capital was really to showcase the business case of investing in women as capital allocators, showcase the natural trickle down effect that that has to women in our portfolios as consumers and as entrepreneurs which then just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because we believe that that will help to generate attractive returns for our investors, but it will also go a long way in contributing to social impact. Um, so it's really using us as a case study to showcase the returns, showcase the maximum, you know, the, 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 maxim the, the, the maximum impact that we can have with this investment strategy. Uh, and as we do that, make the case for other women fund managers, make the case for other women to, to access capital uh, and have, uh, an easier journey than, than I've had over the last six years. That's really interesting. Can you talk a bit more about Aurora Capital and your investment thesis? Aurora Capital Management is an early stage growth equity and gender lens fund. Uh, we're investing in rapidly growing businesses in Nigeria and Ghana. Uh, these are businesses that are typically, you know, rapidly growing. They they are they've proven their business model. They have an established track record, uh, an existing demand for their good or service, and then just looking for that incremental capital to scale up. 
uh, in line with our gender lens, these are businesses that are either providing essential goods and services to women. You know, we see this as a very attractive market, you know, $15 trillion market where women make up, you know, 80% of consumer spending decisions. So as a woman allocating capital, I really believe I have that competitive advantage to be able to identify attractive businesses that produce goods and services that I want. So that's one uh, aspect of our gender lens. Uh, and then the second aspect of our gender lens is we want to be investing in businesses that are either founded or led by women, have women active in their value chain, or have gender diverse teams. Uh, because I'm sure we've all read the data from IFC, from McKinsey, that shows that investing in women, investing in women as consumers, enhances profitability, reduces risk. So we also see this as a value driver for our fund as well. Um, so we're really using our fund to be able to showcase that investing in women, investing for women, will help to increase the returns of our fund whilst also contributing to social impact because of the role that women play in our societies. Um, so we're currently de uh, deploying capital from a $20 million fund. Um, we've done our first investment, we'll be, we'll be executing our next investment and, and, and some more investments throughout this year. Uh, and yeah, we're very excited to continue show to showcase you know, what's possible when women are capital allocators, when women are invested in as consumers, as stakeholders, as entrepreneurs, you know, we, we're really trying to change the narrative for access to capital uh, for women uh, across all levels of society. Um, so, yeah, we're very excited about our work and um, uh, and, yeah, look forward to sharing more success stories from our portfolio. That's really amazing. And I, I really find it uh, so inspiring and fascinating that you're managing one of the first funds really globally that is tapping into gender smart opportunities along the entire value chain. And I'd love to hear a bit more about the impact and business case that you're seeing. As you mentioned, there are really these ripple effects and, and, and you're essentially combining the, the business case with the impact case. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and you know, we, we've done uh, one investment. We're about to do our next investment. And the first investment we did was in a, in a local manufacturer of personal hygiene goods for women and girls. Um, so they manufacture sanitary pads, uh, they manufacture net, net maternity pads that are used by, by uh, new mothers, then they manufacture um, uh, underlay pads that are used by mothers in hospitals. Um, and through this investment, you know, uh, in line with our gender lens strategy, not only do we want to invest in businesses that manufacture or produce goods and services that cater to women in some way, but we also want to invest in businesses that have women active in their value chains, or have women, you know, or have women in senior management or founded and led by women. Um, and, you know, we all, we all know the data, you know, from IFC and McKinsey and, you know, but we've actually seen this, you know, in real life through our own portfolio. So since we made the investment, we've seen sales increase significantly um, by over 10 times, uh, actually, since our investment in the space of 18 months. Um, we've seen the fact that the, the women in our value chain have increased as we increase capacity. So we started off the investment where women in our value chain were about 36% as distributed of these products. It's now increased to 40%. Uh, we've seen that, you know, there's been an incremental about 100 new jobs have been created uh, in, the in the company in total. Um, and about 65% of those new jobs are, are jobs for women. Um, so we are, we're really seeing, uh, and I think where we want to get to is where we can be able to link some of these 
increase that we've seen in women in the value chain, increase you've seen in women on the workforce, and how that has positively impacted the company's revenue trajectory. Uh, so we have that for one year. I think as we have that for subsequent years, we'll start to make the case that as you think about investing in women as consumers, as you think about investing in women within value chains, you know, one year you might say is a fluke, but if you continue to see that consistent trajectory, then, you, you know, we would be too, uh, too um, what's the word? The, the, the business case would be too strong to ignore. Um, so we've definitely seen that with our, with our, um, with our existing portfolio. Uh, we're looking at another business where 90% of, of their value chain are women smallholder farmers. Uh, this is an agri-processing business that we're looking at in Nigeria. Uh, and, I, and I'm sure that we will see repli replicable successes within that business as well. Uh, and the aim with Arua is as we have these successes, as, we as we're able to showcase the data, um, we want to be very vocal about it. Obviously, with the, with the, uh, with the, with the permission of our entrepreneurs, because these are private businesses, uh, but we want to be very, very vocal about it so that people no longer see gender length investing as this soft and pink wishy-washy strategy where we can actually use the data and make the business case and say, well, you care about a commercial return? Well, look at the effects that having women within your business, within your value chain, how that has directly impacted these businesses. Uh, because I think that's really where the industry needs to get to. We've been doing a lot of talking. Uh, we now need to start uh, doing more walking <laughs> and actually producing the data uh, with real life examples, real life companies, rather than the aggregated surveys that we've been doing uh, in the industry so far. Um, so yeah, so we're excited about, about using our fund to play a role in doing that. Great, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's so true because often, um, we, like we have all of these big uh, reports that you mentioned on the business case, <laughs> but I think now I just really want to see the actual examples, like in exactly. and yeah, it's so important that you're building the evidence base. Yeah, we're, we're, we're working very hard on that. Shifting gears a little bit, um, I mean, you've had such an amazing career. I would be really interested to hear um, about, you know, kind of the best advice that you have received throughout your career. Yeah, um, so there's been a couple. I, I think the main one that has really, that, I've, that I always refer back to whenever I'm thinking about doing something crazy Or, or, or I'm thinking about, you know, sending that cold email or, or sending that, you know, is someone so it said to me, never be, never be afraid to fail. You know, what's the worst that can happen is that someone says no, that's the worst that can happen. Um, so never be afraid to fail. And I, and I think I've always taken that with me as I make decisions. And I, as I because every failure from what I've seen in my, in my, in my life so far, is that with every failure, it was meant to happen because without that failure, you wouldn't be where you are now. Um, so so I, I kind of take that with me. And, and I also, you know, try and tell people that I mentor as well is never be afraid to fail. With every failure comes a lesson uh, and that lesson prepares you for the next stage of your life. Um, and you may not know it yet, <laughs> but trust in the process um, and Uh, and it always, it all, that, that is what has always happened throughout the different phases of my life so far, uh, is that that failure was meant to happen for me to be on, you know, the trajectory that I'm on. Um, so it'd be never, you know, never be too afraid to fail, never be too afraid to ask. The worst people can say to you is no, 
um, and, and every failure prepares you for the next stage and you need to go through that process for the next stage. Um, so I would say that that's probably the, been the best advice I've received because I, I try and live it with every decision. That's a really great advice and also a very entrepreneurial one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, we have to be entrepreneurial as uh, women fund managers in Africa. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of uh, entrepreneurial, um, what advice do you have for young women and girls who are interested in entrepreneurship and are considering starting their own business? Yeah, so I would say that, you know, it's very, very difficult to start your own business. It's very, very challenging. Um, you know, you're going to have really bad days where you want to give up uh, and you think, well, why am I going through all of this? So I think the best advice that I can give people that are looking to embark on entrepreneurship is know your why and be very, very clear about your why and let it be cemented <laughs> why you're doing this. Um, and what I also say on top of that is, make sure that your why goes beyond and beyond, be above and beyond just you. Because when it's just you, it's very, very easy to just give up. But if you can align your why with a mission that helps to impact others, then it gives you that additional impetus to keep going. Um, so I would say that that is probably the best piece of advice because being a, a woman and an entrepreneur in any country, but let alone within the African context, can be very, very challenging. So you need, that you need that resilience, you need that grit, you need that focus, that determination. Uh, and I think that when you align it with a mission that will help to you know, change the narrative for other people, it will enable you to keep going despite the difficulty. Um, so yeah, so know your why and make sure your, your why is aligned to a mission that impacts others. Uh, and, and then it will make the challenges um, uh, worth it. So the next big question is, what's your vision? Where would you like to see the investment industry in 2030? Wow, that's a tough one. Um, so I would say that access to capital for women and people of color Uh, continues to probably be one of the most severe dislocations that we have in the private equity and, and, and venture capital industry. Uh, that definitely needs to be addressed uh, in the next decade. Um, so using the United States as an example, women and people of color currently only manage 1.3% uh, of the $69 trillion industry. Um, Uh, although, you know, women and diverse managers have, have, have been proven to outperform industry benchmarks, as you know. So that just doesn't seem right to me, <laughs> that white men are controlling close to 99% uh, of, 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 uh, of, of, of assets uh, under management, you know, the, you know when women uh, make up 50% of the population. So that definitely needs to be addressed. Uh, and I think that there is a lot of intention around it but not enough action around it so um so i would say that my vision for the next decade is that institutional inc institutional investors though that those that currently control the, the the sources of capital start to move away from the norms that they are used to uh, and start to try and 
you know, collaborate um, to make whatever needs to work, work. <laughs> because as a woman and person of color, that's been, you know, that's been trying to raise capital for the last six years. I've heard all the excuses. <laughs> I've heard all the, all the reasons why investors can't invest in our fund. Uh, and I think when you see these type of statistics, it should really just push you to try and do something about that. So I think that there is my call to action would be for the next decade, uh, institution investors to start seeding and anchoring women uh, and diverse managers. Uh, you know, if they need to set up a fund of fund structure amongst themselves to do it <laughs> for the numbers to work, I think that should, we should just move from intention to action and start to do what's necessary so that 99% of assets aren't being controlled by one segment of the population because uh, that lived, leaves us, in, our, in, our, in, in my view, in a very, very risky situation where, uh, you know, it's just, it's just not reflective of the world that we live in, right? So capital, in my view, is a, is, a, is a great way to spur economic empowerment. It's a great way to be able to change the, 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 the narrative for communities, for societies. So who controls that capital uh, is also very, very important as we think about building an in inclusive economy and building an inclusive world. Um, so, yeah, so my call to action is that we need to see more women and diverse managers controlling more of the pie because it's just not reflective of the world that we're living in. Um, so institutional investors have work to do <laughs> to move away from the bureaucracy, to move away from the reasons of why it doesn't work to start to come together collaborate put to get put together solutions um because you know they have the manpower they have the capital to do that so so that's my that's my vision for 2030 i love your vision and um, <laughs> <laughs> i also love your call to action it's, this is really the kind of change we need to see and we need to see it quickly Yes, we do. And you're at the forefront of it, Jessica. I know that you're working very hard on this. So I know that you're working on my vision. So thank you for what you're doing. Yeah, it's not easy. I think it's, you know, it's just as you described, it's, uh, these are very systemic barriers and, and yeah. challenges that need all of us to come together and, and to promote change together, because it's hard to move the needle if you're in your silo. Exactly, exactly. Well, I, I remain hopeful. When we have people like Jessica doing what they're doing with the 2X challenge and, and putting DFIs together, uh, I'm hopeful that we'll have, you know, more moving from intention to action. Um, so, so yes, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Yeah, the, the decade of talking is definitely over. Now we have to move to action. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. That is the, that is what we want to hear. <laughs> thanks so much, Ariswa. And thanks to all of you for tuning in today. Don't forget to check out Choco's crowdfunding campaign and follow us on social media. Next time at Shifting Capital, I will speak to Kalsum Lakani and Ms. Banakwi at Ida I Ventures, a venture capital firm that invests in early stage tech enabled startups with audacious founders in Pakistan.